front of you, I would invite you at this point to, to turn with that portion of scripture, those list of names in Ezra chapter 10. In some ways, I'm quite glad my wife is not out tonight. We're still searching for a name for our, for our baby, so she may have got some ideas tonight. Ezra chapter 10. So tonight we finish. Tonight we conclude the Old Testament book of Ezra. We have looked at uh, 10 chapters. We have looked at these 10 chapters over the course of uh, about 15 or 16 sermons. And it's taken us the best part of, I think, about four and a half to five months. And the question that I want us to consider tonight is very simple. What what do we do with all that God has shown us in the book of Ezra? What are we going to do with it? We've seen a lot over the last five months. What do we do with all that God has shown us? So that's the question. But let's take that question and let's shelve it. And let's put it to the back of our minds until later on. So what will we do with all that God has shown us in Israel? Okay. Let's very, very briefly. We had a a break, didn't we, last week where John McPherson preached. So Let's very briefly remind ourselves of where we are, what's happening in this point in the book of Ezra. So Ezra has returned to Jerusalem, hasn't he? He's come back with the second wave of exiles. And as soon as he gets back to Jerusalem, almost immediately he's met by a problem. The people of God have been marrying outside the faith, haven't they? They've been marrying into the the, the pagan peoples in the area around Jerusalem. And when Ezra hears about this, he's absolutely distraught. And he pulls out his beard. And he pulls out his hair. And he prays. Now, can you remember what happened the, the last time we looked at Ezra? Do you remember the first part of Ezra chapter 10? Well, there... Ezra is joined by the rest of the people. They all repent of this sin of intermarriage. They join him in repentance and they decide to separate themselves from their foreign wives. They send their wives away. Okay, so that's the background. But now to the list itself. This is a list of all the people who were guilty of this sin. All the people who were guilty of this intermarriage is recorded in this list. So let's look at this list and let's consider three things, three details about it. And the first point this evening is this. First point. We see here the dangers of particularly attractive sin. Do we all have that? The dangers of particularly 
attractive sin. Now, I guess the first thing we should note about this list is just how kind of extensive the list is. Now, I don't mean that there's, when I say extensive, I don't mean that there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on this list. It's actually a reasonably short list. Now, what I mean when I say it's extensive is that it covers a really wide variety of people. It covers a wide range of the community. You see, the first name that's mentioned is the name Jeshua. Jeshua. So that means that the sin of intermarriage affected the family of the high priest. Then the list goes on. And then priests are mentioned. And the list goes on. And Levites are mentioned. And gatekeepers too. So you see the point that the sin, this sin of intermarriage, it wasn't sort of the preserve of a small little band of rebellious people. It was a sin that spread through the ranks. A sin that, that spread through a number of different sections of society. So it's extensive, okay? But, and this is important, we get this next thing here. What's noticeable about this intermarriage is that it seems to primarily affect the upper classes of the people of God. It's widespread, it's very widespread, but it's widespread amongst the sort of upper echelons, the elites, the upper classes of society. You see, there's plenty of priests being mentioned, and there's plenty of Levites, but where are the temple servants? They're not mentioned at all. There's no temple servants in the list whatsoever. And there's only just the one mention of the temple singer. Where are, folks, where are the lower classes? You see, the the impression that we get when we read these portions of Scripture, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the like, is that that community that came back from uh, Babylon, it was fairly impoverished when compared to the people that that lived round about it. And we noted a few weeks ago that part of the attraction of, of marrying into these people was that it would lead to improved trade links with richer classes, richer pagan People. And these links, these were the sorts of things that would appeal to people who used to have quite a bit of wealth. These links would have a, a appealed to the upper echelons, the, the, the upper classes of the people of God. And uh, we've got to apply that. And when we do, it's more than just the fact that presenters or uh, temple singers are a lower class of uh, individual. That, that, that goes without saying. No, there is very, very serious uh, application here. 
You see, folks, we've got to be conscious, conscious of the fact that because of our situations, because of our jobs, and because of our status in society, or because of the circles we move in, or because of even the the type of personality that we have, we've got to be conscious that we are going to be attracted to certain types of sin more than others. Do you get that? We're going to be attracted to certain types of sin more than others. Okay, let's have an example. Let's think about an example. Now, <coughs> he moved house not all that long ago, and he started attending a new church. And uh, this church was your stereotypical uh, upper-middle-class church. You know, the this, this sort of place where the car park is littered with uh, Range Rovers and with Bentleys and that sort of stuff, and you go inside and all the kids are in the most exclusive and, and the, the poshest of schools. My friend had to sort of check himself after a year or two Because in his eyes, he had been really negatively affected by that environment. You know, he was the sort of guy that was a wee bit sort of materialistic. He was the sort of guy that absolutely loved cars. And being surrounded by that, being surrounded by all these lovely cars and all this wealth... He'd found that he'd actually succumbed to jealousy. He went out and he bought himself a, a very, very expensive car. A car and a car that he couldn't afford and a car that he had to eventually return. But you see the point. My friend was tempted by sin that he found particularly attractive. He'd been snared at the point where he was weakest. And we've really got to be aware of that for ourselves, don't we? You know, some sins are more attractive to us than others. So, just now, consider. Consider your situation. Consider your workplace, your age. Consider what sins are you most attracted by? Consider what sins you are most exposed to. What are your areas of uh, potential weakness? You know, are you uh, a bit of a high flyer? Do you have a a good job? Are you surrounded by uh, people who are, uh, you know, incredibly ambitious in the work? Are you surrounded by people at work who have that almost kind of insatiable appetite for materialism and and, and for more and more wealth? Well, if you're surrounded by that, then be careful that that does not affect you. Be careful that you don't succumb to that too. Or are you... A young person tonight, are you uh, someone who's spending 
a lot of time with younger people who aren't Christians. Well, if that's the case, that's, that is great. And that is finer. Of course, there's, there, there's no problems with that at all. But please, be on your guard against the sort of temptations that go hand in hand with that. Be praying about things like sexual temptation. Be praying about that. Be praying about temptations to go out and go out and drink too much with your non-Christian friends. Pray about that. Friends, we can't be naive when it comes to sin. Because Ezra 10, we've got a situation where certain types of people are attracted by certain types of sin. See, the devil's not stupid. The devil is not going to try and, and, and tempt you by things you're not interested in. The devil is going to try and get you at your weakest point. He's going to attract you by the things that surround you all the time. So folks, let's take this this into this coming week. As Christians, we must be especially wary of and frequently prayerful about particularly attractive sins. Be wary of and prayerful about particularly attractive sins. Okay. Now I'm sure we all saw we've been tuning in to the news this week, so I'm pretty sure that everyone knows that Prince Charles, in the past few days, he visited some of these Assyrian refugee camps in Jordan. And when he made that trip, and when he spoke there, he made reference to the plight of the kids that were involved in that situation. You know, the kids and the orphans that are affected there. And these kids, in some ways, they are unintended victims of the conflict. You know, they weren't the primary target in this warfare. No way. These kids are unintended victims of the crimes in Syria. And there's something similar to that in, in the second detail that we need to consider from this list, this elaborate list of the guilty in Ezra 10. So the second point tonight is the unintended victims of sin. The unintended victims of sin. That's the second point. Now, Romeo and Juliet ends in a sad way. Anna Karenina ends in a pretty sad way too. The Grapes of Wrath, that ends in a sad way. But none of those endings come anywhere close to how sad the ending of Ezra is. Did you see it? The end. We've got to do a, we've got to be, we've got to act Poirot a wee bit. We've got to do a wee bit of detective work to, to, to see how sad it is. Because we've got this last verse here. We've got to take the last verse. Then what we've got to do is we've got to have a look at the footnote at the bottom of the page. 
you see it. And then, very keen, you can check in verse 3 of chapter 10 as well. And if you look at all of those, the reality that emerges here is, it's sad. Not just the wives were sent away, the children, the kids of these sinful relationships, they were rejected. The children were sent away by their fathers. Isn't that a tragic way? to end the book of Ezra. And these kids, they were um, unintended victims of, of this intermarriage. There's no way that these, the, the, the guys who enter into these relationships, there's no way that they're thinking about a few years down the line and how these things are going to affect children of these marriages. Yet look at the damage that's caused here. And in the Bible, not just in the book of Ezra, elsewhere we see unintended victims of sin. If you know your Bible, think David. Think David and Bathsheba. David's sin with her. And think how that affected Uriah the Hittite. Let's think of other examples. Think of, let's take the people of God in general. They sin, they sin, and they sin. And they're sent into exile. And there's unintended victims for generations. Now, what's the best example of all? Surely the best example is Adam. Adam does what he wants. Adam takes what he wants. And who are the unintended victims of that sin? Every single one of us. And folks, you and I, we have to take that principle there and we have to see that it is true of us as well. There are unintended victims of our sin. There's unintended victims of our sin. Sometimes we don't see that. Sometimes we're not aware of it at all, but there are. Let's try and pin that down a wee bit more. Let's think of an example. Let's take Facebook as an example of this, okay? Let's think about Facebook for a moment, because I'm sure we talked about this before. The world has changed dramatically because of the likes of Facebook. A few years ago, uh, we could count on large swathes of our lives being private, uh, but not uh, anymore. Now things are different. Now, let's say you're to go out with your work colleagues. Or let's say you're to go out with your friends. And let's say you fall into sin. And let's say you drink too much. Well, you can be guaranteed now that quite a few people have got camera phones. And these sorts of incidences are recorded and they are, I was going to say they're plastered on the internet, but they are, they are certainly put up on the internet and put up there on Facebook. And whether we like it or not, sin like that, it has unintended consequences. It affects 
other people. You see, people in our church might see these photos, might hear about things like that. And these things, they have the most incredibly spiritually demoralizing effect. Or younger Christians might see these things. They might see examples of sin in Facebook. And they might use these things for their argument. Well, if it's okay for that Christian to do it, then it's okay for me to do it too. You get the picture, don't you? Our sin doesn't just affect us. There are unseen consequences to our sin. There are unintended victims of sin. Yeah, okay. I wasn't going to say this, but I will. What do you think about Ezra 10? What do you think about the way that it ends? And these kids being sent away. I mean, do you think that that's harsh? The kids being sent away. Do you think that that's disproportionate or cruel? Well, if so, keep in mind why they had to do this, why they had to send the kids away. You see, unless the people of God remained distinct, then the biblical promise that out of their number a saviour would come, and that promise wouldn't be fulfilled. We've got to keep in mind, we've got to hold on to the bigger picture here. A few children being sent back to their extended family, it has paved the way for millions and millions and millions of people to be saved from their sin by Jesus Christ at the cross, at Calvary, where a father really and truly has had to send away and reject and turn his back on his child. Okay, there is, uh, in this section of Scripture, a very free church verse. Okay? Very free church verse. Because when you preach all around Scotland, (coughs) in the various churches, especially some of of the bigger churches, what happens is you see the benediction, and you've got to be quick. You've got to get to the door before everyone starts filing out, and everyone sort of lines up, and they will shake uh, you've got to shake hands with every single one of them. And by the end of it, your hand is aching as all these sort of uh, Lewis farmers come out and, and you know, their big shovel hands and they, uh, they shake your, your poor little bones as hard as they can. So, and there's something off that in verse 19. Because there's a lot of handshaking going on there. You see... All the guilty people here, all the people involved in the sin of intermarriage, they all have to give their hands. They all have to shake their hands by way of a pledge. It's a pledge. And that's our final point this evening. 
Just as we close, let's consider our third thing, and that is a pledge to turn away from sin. You got it? A pledge to turn away from sin. You see, what are they pledging to do? Well, really, these are a, a people who have backslidden. I know it's an old-fashioned term, maybe, but it's a good one. They have backslidden. These are people who have turned away from God. There are people who have mingled with the world. And there are people who have adopted the practices of the world. And this pledge is a kind of confirmation of their repentance. They're pledging to turn away from their sin, to put the sin out of their lives. They're pledging to come back to God. So it's a pledge. Now please, hold on to that. Hold on to the idea of a pledge, just for a second. Because as we end tonight, as we end our series series looking at the book of Ezra, let's just think about some of the themes that we've seen over the last five months. What has Ezra been about? What have we seen? Well, we've seen God's sovereignty, haven't we? God's sovereignty even over worldly rulers. Do you remember way back chapter 1 and Cyrus's decree? God was sovereign over Cyrus, over Darius, over Artaxerxes. We've seen God's care, his care for his people. We've seen that in the way that he protected the people when they were in so much danger. We see his care in the lists of people that he records. He records the names of those people who trust and obey him and came back to the land. We've seen the priority of worship for the people of God. What did they do? What did the people of God do when they came back into the land? They built the temple. The priority was worship. And we see in the last couple of chapters the necessity of God's people living lives that are what? Separate and distinct and holy. Lives that are all about the glory of God. Friends, I hope You've seen that the book of Ezra, a book about a small, fragile community of believers. It is a book that is relevant to our church and it is relevant to our lives. And so the question remains exactly the same as the start of the sermon. What are we going to do with all that God has shown us in this book. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to be people who come to church on a Sunday night and sit and listen for a while, sing a couple of songs and go home and forget all about it and carry on with the rest of our lives? Is that what we're going to do? Well, why don't we do something different? 
Why don't we embrace this? Why don't we go back over the book of Ezra? Why don't we read it again for ourselves? Why don't we study it ourselves? Why don't we pray about it? And why don't we live it out to the glory of the living God? You see, I think if we're honest, some of us, perhaps all of us, are exactly like the people of God in Ezra chapter 10. We need to come back to God. We've been living away from him. We've been adopting the practices of the world outside. We've been mingling with the world. Well, friends, they made a pledge. Why don't we do that? Why don't we do that tonight? Why don't we pledge to take what we've learned from God, from Ezra, and apply it to our lives? And folks, praise God that if we do that, if we make that pledge, praise God that we don't have to do what the people of God had to do in chapter 10 because their pledge had to be accompanied by something it had to be accompanied by a guilt offering of a ram well praise god we don't have to do that do we praise him that jesus christ he has made a permanent guilt offering for sin Friends, that's it. The book of Ezra is closed. That was it. Now, what are you, what are you going to do with all that God has shown you? Let's pray.